Great, terrific. Can I break into your conversations there, please? It's great that you're, you're enjoying conversation with one another. And please do carry those on afterwards, as Jonty said. Uh, stick around, there's some food. Carry on those conversations. Keep saying hi to people next to you and to others uh, as well. Um, but we're going to turn to God's word now. Uh, we've started, we've, we've kind of gone back into John's gospel. We're looking to finish it uh, this term. So we're back in John uh, chapter 18 um, this week. So if you have your Bibles uh, on your phone or uh, in your hands, let's turn to John chapter 18. And we're continuing this series, just journeying with, with Jesus in his final few hours um, before he goes to the cross. John, John chapter 18, starting at verse 15, uh, down to 27. Let me read. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in, this, in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Let me say a, a short prayer as we come into this passage. Father, please calm our hearts now. Father, by your spirit, help us to, to really engage with this passage to hear you speak to us, to show us that where we fail, you never do. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this passage, as I was kind of grappling with it this week, it's, it's actually been really hard. Not because it's, it's complex. I, it's a passage, hopefully, that's familiar to many of us. But it was hard because it, it sort of revealed my heart. Because I've spent this whole week reading through this passage, trying to deny that I am like Peter. Trying to deny that I am a Jesus denier too. I tried to find, can I, can I preach it some other way? But the more I grappled with it, the more I looked at it, the more I prayed through it, I realized that actually I'm exactly like Peter. And it's so naive for us to sit here thinking, no, 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 I'm not. 
In fact, all of us by nature are like Peter. We are all God deniers. I'm pretty certain if we'd been in the same position as Peter here that night, we would have failed Jesus just the same. Now, as I say that, it's uncomfortable to hear that, isn't it? In your hearts, in your heads, you might react by saying, no, no, surely not I. But you know what? That's exactly what Peter had said a few hours before. Even if all fall away, I will not. That is why it was so hard. Because it started to reveal what I'm really like. That I'm somebody who in an instant is tempted to and will deny Jesus. That I will fail God. I tried to think, okay, what, what is this, what's this look like? And I sat there in the kitchen looking and I, and I started to realize I looked like my, my microwave. Let me, let me explain. Um, here's the problem with our microwave. Every day, I, I, every time I look at it, I sometimes look at it, you, there's a clock on the microwave, right? And you look at it and you think, oh, what time is it? But every day, it gets quicker and quicker. So I reset it. But within a day, it's already a minute faster, and it gets quicker and quicker all the time. It's utterly unreliable. It's reliably unreliable. And I kept looking at it. What brand is that? Panasonic. My surname's Son. My name was in it. I was like... As I sat there, grappling with this passage, looking, staring at my microwave, I realized this is exactly what I'm like. Reliably unreliable. And yet John writes this passage so beautifully. You'll see it in the way he set it up. Peter denies Jesus three times, and it surrounds this central scene where we see Jesus on trial. It's almost as though John set it up as, as if Peter's on trial here and Jesus is on trial here. And John wants us to see simply, as we see those two trials going on, he wants us to see this. Where we fail Jesus, Jesus never fails us. Let's look at that first half, where we fail Jesus. See, I'm sure that many of us are familiar with this story. But I want us to try and approach it slightly fresher if we can. Just think about Peter for a moment. What is Peter like? See, Peter has seen everything in Jesus' ministry. He's walked with Jesus for about three years or so. He's seen Jesus turn water into wine. He's seen him open the eyes of the blind, feed 5,000 with five five loaves of bread and two fish. He's seen Lazarus come back from the dead just at the sound of of Jesus' voice. It's not just the things that he's seen, but he's heard Jesus teach with such authority. Crowds gathering around him, such wisdom as he shared meals with Jesus, as he talked to him through the night. He's even had his, had his feet washed by Jesus. And we know Peter as this bold, brave, sometimes brash leader of the disciples who clearly loves Jesus and wants to follow him. And that is the sort of Peter I like to see. That is the sort of Peter I want to, the sort of disciple I want to be. I want to be like Peter, passionate, on fire for Jesus. Back in John 13, when Jesus said, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm not going to be here anymore. Peter was so adamant, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I will lay my life down for you, says Peter. So confident. And even here, we saw last week, Jesus being bound in the garden, being taken away. And who's following? Verse 15, Simon Peter. He's following Jesus. And so up to this point, we look at Peter and think, if he's carrying on on this trajectory, he's going to be that, that sort of guy who steps in and goes, release my master, you know, with his sword. That's what you expect Peter to do. 
you look at Peter's life and you think it'd be stupid, it'd be crazy for him to deny that he knew Jesus. But within a few moments, from one simple question, it all collapses. If you look at the details, it's even worse. Did you notice he's there with another disciple? But this other disciple is known to the high priest. Some people think he's John. What matters is that he's known to the high priest. He goes in, he checks things out, and he comes out to Peter and says, okay, let's go in. And there's a servant girl standing on duty there, and he says, look, we're coming in. And naturally, the servant girl looks up and looks at John, looks at Peter and says, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? Seems like a natural question. Maybe there was a turn of cynicism, I don't know. But what is clear is that Peter isn't alone. He's with someone who's known to the high priest, probably to the girl. So it's so easy for him to just say, yeah, yeah, I'm with this guy. It's like, um, imagine you're queuing to go to a restaurant. Here we go, food again. Um, queuing to go to a restaurant with your family. So there, it's, when you're queuing together with your family, it's, I'm pretty sure it's obvious who you are. Um, you, you're talking, to, hopefully you're talking together, uh, you're, you're chatting, having a laugh, and, and you look like your siblings and your parents, and then whether you like it or not, you, you look like them, it's pretty obvious. And then you get to the end of the queue, and what, the waiter and the waitress, they come up to you, and what do you expect? They, they ask you that question, how, how many, please? And they look at you and think, oh, there's a family. But imagine if you say, oh, sorry, just table for one, please. It sounds balmy, what are you doing? It's obvious, Peter should just say, yes, I'm, I'm with this other disciple. Instead, I am not. A simple question undoes all the years and the experience that he's had with Jesus. Why? Because Peter has lost sight of Jesus. He has lost sight of Jesus. See, all the times that Peter was so brave, so confident, sometimes rash, you notice that Jesus was always around in those moments. Last week, we saw him pull that sword out and cut off that servant's ear. He was there, 200 soldiers. But he was confident to do that. Why? Because Jesus was there. He was the one who said, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, don't just wash my feet, my head, my hand, my body, everything to Jesus. Right in front of Jesus. Jesus was there. He was brave and bold saying that. Brave and bold saying, I'll, I'll come with you. I'll lay my life down for you, Jesus. Again, Jesus was there with him. But like a, a child who's lost their parents, standing in the middle of a, a crowded hall, crying out in tears, exposed, alone, isolated, Peter suddenly finds himself without Jesus, exposed, alone, isolated. See, after the many years of building his confidence, in one fell swoop, it's gone. Suddenly he finds it so easy to say, I am not one of Jesus' disciples. But you want to go deeper than that. It's not just that he doesn't see Jesus physically. Peter had known Jesus as his master. He'd known him as his teacher, as this great miracle maker. He was mesmerized. He sensed the importance of what it means to follow Jesus, the greatness and the worth of following Jesus. But here's what he'd missed. He hadn't seen Jesus as his savior. Every time Jesus spoke of the cross, every time Jesus said, I have to leave you, I have to go and I have to die, Peter was the one who objected. He showed that he really didn't understand. 
Jesus knew this. Even when Peter was so bold in John 13 saying, I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. Jesus said, look, where I'm going, you cannot follow. You will follow later, but you cannot follow now. See, Peter for now, he would only manage to get to the courtyard, but that's as far as he's going. Until his heart is going to be exposed. And then when he would see Jesus, not just as his great teacher or a wise sage, but when he sees Jesus as his personal savior. This is why I think when we read this passage, we often feel this discomfort. Because we see a bit of Peter in ourselves. We realize that we've done this before. We do this all the time. Where we deny and fail the very one who gives us life. But the thing is, this is actually the story of humanity. The Bible tells us, look, this is who we are as human beings. The very first humans did exactly this. They claim to follow God and love God. And yet when one simple question comes, what do they do? Their hearts denied him. When God wasn't around, their hearts turned towards this fruit that was so pleasing to their eye, to their stomach. And as they lose sight of God and deny him, their hearts become exposed and they suddenly look at themselves and see their frailty. They see their nakedness. They see their shame. Don't we sometimes feel that frailty? The fear of being exposed? We sometimes call it imposter syndrome. Is that because we are separated, because we have lost sight of our maker, of our creator, of our savior? See, ever since that day, we've been working so hard to cover, up, cover it up through our fig leaves, trying to find some sort of dignity, some sort of comfort. And it's like that here. See, Peter, after he flatly denies following Jesus, he goes and then he huddles around this little fire. He's rubbing shoulders with the rest of the world, straining and trying to find some comfort, some warmth from the cold darkness of his heart. He's sitting there in the shadows, just hoping that nobody else notices what he's just done. We can so often be like this, huddling around these little fires that we make, our work, our relationships, or in my case, even ministry, in the hope that we might get some comfort from it, some warmth from it, that people might not actually see how much of a Jesus-denying failure that I am. See, I've been a pastor here for just a year and a bit or so. You guys have been great. You've been really kind to me. And there are days when I serve genuinely because I, I love Jesus. For, by his grace, I serve thinking, yes, this is, this is so good. But there are other days when I serve because I know I'm failing Jesus or because I have failed him. Because of my sin, because of my frailty, and in those moments, I, I start finding myself huddled around these little fires, straining and hoping that my efforts will provide some comfort for me, that I might slip into the crowd and it might cover how I've denied Jesus in my heart and failed him. So here's a question for us. Do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel that frailty? Do you ever feel like you might get exposed, that you've failed Jesus, that you've denied God? What are you huddling around to try and find comfort? Do we realize this is because we've lost sense of where true comfort and security is found in God and in Him alone? Whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or whether you sat in church for the first time for the last half an hour, I think we all do this. 
And if that's the way you feel, then, then watch how this scene unfolds because God wants to show us something. He wants to move our eyes from the cold, dark courtyard into the heated, intense courtroom where now Jesus is standing trial. Because what he wants to show us is this, that even where we fail Jesus, where we deny our Savior, we have a Savior who will never fail us. Do you know how to tell if somebody is really worth following? Put them under pressure. That's when you know whether they will crumble or whether they'll be worth holding to and trusting. Now, I don't recommend you do that with every single relationship you have. It's probably not a good idea. But you sort of know it. It's a, it's a key way to tell, does this person get my vote? Do I want to commit my life to this person? It's like thinking about our Prime Minister, Liz Truss. She's under a huge amount of pressure. We need to be praying for her and for the government. But on her shoulders is immense pressure. And what we'll, we'll know is, is she a really good leader in a few months' time? And we see how she's dealt with it. And it's like that here. John brings us into this high-pressure situation with Jesus. And under this immense pressure, what is going to happen? Is he going to crumble like dust and ashes, or is he going to shine brightly like a diamond? Here's the scene. The high priest is sitting there. He's demanding these answers with his servants and his officials surrounding him. They're banding around. Jesus is facing this intense panel of officials. They're picking holes at everything he's done. Just a quick thing of clarification. In verse 24, it says, Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. You're like, what's going on? Hang on, I, th I thought he's sitting in front of the high priest. Um, and so what's happening is Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. He's a bit like the godfather of the, the high priest, or uh, like Star Wars analogy, he's the emperor. If, if he's the emperor, then Caiaphas is like Darth Vader, is that, that sort of scene, right? Um, but here is... But, Here's Jesus. He's all alone. He's surrounded by a crowd of people who are wanting to see his blood. John's painted this picture of Peter a moment ago who's faced this question and he's failed. How is Jesus going to respond? He could, and if he's anything like Peter, he could. He, he would have every right to deny his disciples who had denied him. He'd go on to deny his teachings and say, you know, I, I wasn't sure I said those things. But watch what he does. The high priest questions Jesus. He asks him about two things in verse 19, about his disciples and his teaching. Explain your teachings, says the high priest. And Jesus sort of, it's funny, he sort of says, you know, I, I could. I could sit here and, and explain everything I've taught for the last few years. But you know what? It's a, it's a waste of time asking me. Because you can go and ask the hundreds and thousands who have heard it all before. Because my message is clear, it's plain, it's out in the open. Everybody knows it, everybody's heard it. It works a little bit like this. That, okay, crowd interaction. Let's play a little game. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say a, a company that you might know, and I want somebody to shout out the motto, okay, the little catchphrase that summarizes the company. So let's start with an easy one. Nike. Okay, easy. Uh, let's go, Tesco. Very good. All right, Lidl. Oh, you're Tesco shoppers. Lidl. Say again. There you go. Great on quality, little on price. Students, students, yeah. Um, L'Oreal. Yes. One of my favorites, KFC. Yeah, see. Now, look, you could go to all their company websites and look at their visions and their values, what do they live for? But everybody knows the message is plain and clear and simple. 
you know exactly what these companies are about just from their little motto, their catchphrase. It's like that with Jesus. He could sit there explaining it. He could pull up his website and say, hey, look, here are my vision values and all of my statements. But he's done nothing in secret. He's made it clear his private and his public conversations have always been spoken with utter integrity. Everybody knows. Hundreds and thousands have heard it. He even sat there in the synagogues, in the temple where the high priest would have been, explaining everything. You guys should know it, says Jesus. So Jesus' message was clear. John summarizes it for us. Just if you flick over the page, chapter 20, verse 31, that people may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. Who's Jesus about? Jesus has come to give life. That is the whole point of these great I am sayings we see throughout John. He wanted people to know that I am. Jesus is God in flesh. God who has come as the bread of life to feed his people. Who has come as the good shepherd to protect his people. Who has come as the way, the truth, and the life to show a path for his people. To be the very resurrection life. Salvation into eternity for his people. Jesus has come to give life. His teaching is clear. There's no opportunity to even deny it now. He can't even say, sorry, I backtracked, because everybody's heard it. Everybody knows it. So there he is. He bats that one off. But here's the other question that the high priest wants to know. What about your disciples? What is going on with them? And I kept rereading it, and he doesn't really say anything about his disciples. Because I think he knew what was going on outside in the courtyard with Peter. He knew already that Peter had denied him once, and he knew that he was going to go on to deny him twice more. And he knew, as he was standing there, this is exactly why I'm on trial. Because in in amongst Jesus' teachings, he also made this very clear. Chapter 18, verse 9, we saw it last, last week. He says, I have not lost one of those you gave me. That is actually quoting something he taught earlier on in John chapter 6 that I shall not lose none of those he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. See, as he stood there on trial, he was making it very clear, you know what, I'm not going to abandon or deny my disciples. Those who are like Peter, yearning to follow him, even though they fail me, I am not going to fail them. Jesus had always always made clear to his followers, his disciples, in his teachings, that he was going ahead of them to prepare a room for them in his father's house that he had promised them that he would be the good shepherd who would watch over them, who's going to defend his sheep. And John deliberately uses, he keeps repeating this phrase, the high priest, the high priest, because I think he wants to hint at who Jesus actually is, that he is the true high priest who's now standing on trial on behalf of the people. He was standing on trial so that his followers wouldn't have to. He was there preparing himself to cover over the failings of his followers, those who deny Jesus, those who deny the Father, who deny God. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that is what they were doing, denying who God is. And he was exactly standing there to cover over their failings. And as Jesus sets out this truth, as he speaks of his teaching, saying, look, I've made it all plain to you one of the officials stands up and he strikes Jesus in the face. That's something that John wants to see us to see as it points forward to a few hours later where this good shepherd will be fatally struck as he lays down his life for his sheep. 
as the crowds who Jesus had taught for months, for years, would see Jesus, the great and true high priest, nailed to a Roman cross. So here's what we see as we gaze into this, this courtroom, into this fiery, unjust trial, in this high-pressure moment. We see Jesus emerge in all glory and beauty, like a diamond crafted in the pressures of the earth. There he stands, taking it all. To, say, to show utter integrity, to say, you know what, the plan of God will not fail. And he looks out to his disciples, to, to Peter, and he says, the plan of God to rescue and save my disciples will not fail. So if you're here this afternoon and, and you feel like you've lost sight of Jesus, or maybe you're sitting here this afternoon and you've never really seen him before, then you need to see this Jesus that, that John points us to. This Jesus who does not fail his disciples, but instead he lays down his life for them. That is what Jesus has done for you and for me. When accused and challenged, he's made it plain. Salvation belongs to me, and I have not lost those my Father has given to me. So if you're trusting Jesus this afternoon, or if you put your trust in Jesus this afternoon and come to follow him, this is true for you. So let me land this as we come back outside. We come back outside now, we come back to see Peter, and it starts to become even clearer. As we come back outside, we see Peter, we're still huddled around this little fire trying to find some comfort. This is quite deliberate. It makes us wait. It's, it's as though you've been stewing and waiting over something that you've done wrong. Have you ever done something like that? I have. Let me tell you about something I did. Um, when I was a 10-year-old kid, I was playing with my cousin in my, um, outside in the garden, and then we climbed onto the garage roof. It's one of those flat garages with a corrugated kind of, I don't know what they're made of. They, it looks like they're really strong and sturdy. But I soon found out that they weren't, because we were jumping around, and I just went crashing straight through. My parents were out, um, and they called us around lunchtime and said, how are you guys doing? And I sort of didn't say anything. I said, we're fine, in the hope that they wouldn't find out. Um, <laughs> I had to wait five hours, thinking, why didn't I just tell them? I was seeing this. This was back when we didn't have mobile phones. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm older than I look. Um, but I felt awful. It was, I was stewing. I, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't play with my cousin because I was just like, they're going to find out. And there's a gaping hole in the garage and the, whole, the corrugated iron's like all over the floor. They will find out. And it's like that here. Just at that moment, as, as Peter's stewing over this, he's like, what have I just done? Trying to find some comfort here, they approach him again. And notice this detail. The question is almost word for word exactly the same as what he was asked before. It's almost as though, here, Peter, here's a second chance. What are you going to do now? Surely not again. But there it is. Peter says again, I am not. This is an important detail, I think, that John's trying to pick out. See, last week, we saw in the garden, if you were here last week, as, as the, the, um, the army come to, well, not the army, but like the soldiers come to take Jesus away. Jesus twice declared, I am. Only that, that is what he was saying. Yes, I am the one you're looking for. I am. John here records twice, Peter saying, I am not. The third time he just says he denied it. But twice he makes it clear. Peter says, I am not. Because John wants to contrast Peter and Jesus to make it so clear 
that we are not our Savior, that Peter is not his Savior. Only the great I am, only Jesus, only God in flesh is the Savior, not Peter, not you, not me. Peter comes to realize this as he denies Jesus a third time. More detail now. Weren't you in the garden? I thought I saw you. For now, for Peter, the courtyard was as far as he would go. And as Peter was stewing over what he had done, denying Jesus again and again, the great I am stood trial there to fulfill those words. I am where I'm going, you cannot follow Peter, but you will follow me later. Because in a few hours' time, it would suddenly make all the sense to Peter. It would become plain to him when he would see the Lord that he loves, Jesus, slain as a lamb on the cross. Peter then would realize, you know what, I could never cover my shame, my frailty. He would never be able to make up for his failures for denying Jesus. He would come to realize that. Just like we can't make up our failures for, for denying God, for not following us as we should, but there at the cross, Peter would then see so clearly, so plainly, that Jesus would never fail him. You know, in, um, in Luke's gospel, this, this is one of those things where it's recorded in all four gospels. In Luke's gospel, as Peter denies Jesus three times, Pete, Luke picks up this very vivid detail that Jesus then, he looks straight at Peter. And you can sense it when you read it there. Just the amount of guilt and the shame that Peter would have felt. That's the last time he was going to see, the, see his Lord. That's what he was thinking. But as I read through John's gospel here, I wonder if the way Jesus looked at him, see, we see it from our perspective thinking, oh man, I feel so much guilt and so much shame. But here we see it from Jesus' perspective. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, Peter, I know that that, that was what you were going to do. I know what you've done, but you need to see as I look at you that I'm laying my life down for you. Jesus wasn't looking in an accusatory way. He wasn't saying, ha ha, I told you so. But no, instead he was saying, no, I love you so. Knowing that he was about to go to the cross to cover over the frailty of Peter's humanity, of our humanity, of our shame at denying our maker, our creator, and our savior in God. God knew fig leaves were never going to do the job. So Christ comes to cover us with his very own robes. To say to his followers, look, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not fail you. And as Jesus was nailed to the cross, there you have it clear. There was no secret made of what Jesus had done. If his teachings were plain for all to hear, now it was clear for all to see. Your and my failings, where we have so often failed and denied God, Jesus says, I've dealt with that at the cross. Jesus was saying, look, come to me and see how I cover over my sin. See how, how by my spirit I give you new hearts so that you can follow me, not in your own power, but in the power that I give, to stop denying me and remain confident that I am with you always. See, it wasn't just like me resetting my microwave clock but it was throwing it out and giving something completely new that actually works. Everything changes internally in our hearts and our desires because of Jesus. And that is who we know today, the risen Jesus, the reigning Jesus who never fails us. 
So here are a couple of things to think about as we, as we finish. Whether you're a Christian or not this afternoon, if you do feel this, if you feel exposed, if you feel frail, if you feel weary from trying to avoid this sense of failure, from that constant huddling around these fires, trying to find some comfort, some warmth, hoping that people don't see you for who you are, will you come to the one who covers over your frailty, that comes, that comes to give his life and lay his life down for you? Who says, look, you can be confident in me, in me because I am going to clothe you in my sacrifice. For others of us, we might be sitting here feeling that guilt. As you read through this, you're thinking, oh, that's exactly what I've done. That you feel that sense of shame, knowing that you've denied Jesus in a conversation you had this week. Maybe you remain silent when you should have spoken up. When I do that, I feel absolutely rubbish. I feel like an utter failure. And sometimes I wonder, why would God ever love somebody and care for somebody like me? But you see here, Jesus says, it's not about you, it's about me. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I'm doing. If that's you, then you need to come out of the shadows of the courtyard and gaze into the courtroom to see your Savior struck for you. For others of us, we may be denying Jesus in the way we live right now. We might sit there in our comfort just huddling around these little fires, rubbing shoulders with the world, hoping that this might be the answer, that this will do. Throwing ourselves into our work or into our careers or into the comfort of relationships that we might have. But we need to stop doing that. We need to come out of the shadows, stop rubbing shoulders with the world, stop trying to find comfort in your own efforts, but come to Jesus. Come into the light. Because there you will find eternal comfort in someone who will never fail you, who will cover over all your frailties, all your sins, all your weaknesses, who promises to bring you into life with his name. My prayer as we close is this that we might all see how where we fail, where we are so quick to deny God, to deny Jesus, our Savior, we have a Savior who never fails us. And so will you come to him this afternoon in worship, whether for the first time or the hundredth time? Let's bow our heads in, in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for, for who you are, that you are a savior who never fails for his people. Father, help us to see that all the more clearly this afternoon. If we feel that guilt or shame, Father, help us to lay those down before you and come to Jesus who doesn't fail us, who lays his life down for us. May we see that beauty of Christ in our fear and our unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Oh,